Lord, we ask that indeed, as we prayed in our collect, your light would shine through us in our lives. And Lord, that we would bear fruit, finishing well in old age. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. Today is still Christmas. We are celebrating Christmas tide. Uh, today's the third day of Christmas and the first Sunday of Christmas. And so we continue to celebrate the nativity of our Lord, his incarnation, his coming to dwell among us. And we also are celebrating a feast day, the feast of St. John the Apostle. St. John. The, there are these feast days that uh, come in the, in the middle of the Christmas season. Uh, St. Stephen's one, St. John's another, Holy Innocence is another yet. And today we're going to talk about John the Disciple, John the Apostle. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the saints in 2021 because we are going to be, be uh, renaming Lakewood Anglican, into a new church. Uh, when you become a parish, you take on one of the saints' names or uh, something like that. And therefore, one of the things that we want to do is educate ourselves because the saint that we pick should reflect who we are, or maybe we should reflect the saint who we pick. <laughs> and St. John's a great place to start. Um, St. John, of course, was one of the apostles of our Lord. He was, um, he's also known as St. John the Evangelist. Sometimes he's called St. John the Divine. And sometimes he's called St. John the Beloved. Have you heard all those at some point or another? Well, let's start with the easy one. Why is he called St. John the Evangelist? He's an evangelist, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the author of the fourth gospel, right? John's the author of the fourth gospel. How about St. John the Divine? That one's a little harder. Why St. John the Divine? The uh, cathedral in New York City is named St. John the Divine. That's kind of more enigmatic, right? Why? Because usually we talk about divine, we're talking about someone being God, right? But does anybody know why John carries that title? He's not divine. He's not God. Ah, I've got you. Um, he's uh, called St. John the Divine because of his vision of divine things in the book of Revelation. And so St. John, because he was given that vision of the divine throne room, the heaven of the Lord, uh, has been given that that designation by the church. And of course, finally, we'll, we'll uh, end with an easy one. Why is he called St. John the Beloved? Because Christ loved him, yes. And, and St. John, throughout his gospel, speaks of the disciple who was beloved by the Lord. And John never talks about himself but he references himself that way in his own gospel. And uh, we see that time and time again. So St. John's also an interesting character because he actually uh, starts out a whole lot less holy and a whole lot less refined than he ends up. Um, John 
was a son of Zebedee and Salome. And uh, we read about him coming to the Lord early on, both in his own gospel, in John 1, and also in the other gospels. So in the gospel of Mark, I believe it is, for example, we see Jesus calling his disciples. And we read this, And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, that is, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So that's where John gets introduced in Mark's gospel. But interestingly enough, John has some backstory that occurs in his own gospel. So we read this in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John, that is the Baptist, speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And once again, it's a little bit hard to follow when you're not reading the text here, but St. John's speaking about these two disciples that were followers of John the Baptist. And you read between the lines and you do the math, and Peter and Andrew are accounted for, and these other two are James and John. So John was a disciple of John the Baptist prior to being a disciple of Jesus. So John and James, his brother, and Andrew and Peter all have this thing going that they're these fishermen from Galilee, right? And this bond between them continues on. In fact, Jesus, being a human being, fully human as well as fully God, has his circle of friends and supporters, right? Think about it. There's the crowds, right? And then inside of the crowds, inside of the hundreds, there's what? The 70, right? And the 70 disciples. Inside of that, there's the 12 apostles. And inside of that, there are three apostles that he hangs out with and reveals things to the most. And John's one of them. It's John Peter and James. Think about it. Who is it that ascends with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? John, Peter, and James. Who is it that Jesus takes apart from the rest of the apostles at Gethsemane? 
to pray. John, Peter, and James. If you look through the Gospels, you'll see this pattern over and over again. At the Last Supper, John plays an important role, which is referenced in today's Gospel. He is right next to Jesus, reclining as they receive the Last Supper and witness the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Jesus is, we read this, Jesus' disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant, that is, that he was going to be betrayed. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? And that was actually referenced in today's reading, too. I don't know if you caught it, but they refer back to John in today's Gospel, too. And notice, John also is the only apostle present at Jesus' death. Everyone else flees, except for John and the women. In John's Gospel, John 19, verse 25, we read this, Near the cross... Of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that time, the disciple took her into his home. And Mary lived with John the rest of her life. Some people say it's in Jerusalem. Some people say it was at Ephesus where John traveled, but he cared for her for the rest of her life. So there's this special bond between our Lord and the Apostle John. John's also the first one to the empty tomb after it's announced to the Apostles. In John chapter 20, verse 2, he outruns Peter to the tomb in his exuberance. And then, of course, we see today's Gospel reading, which occurs after the resurrection, where John remained in Jerusalem, and actually, I'm sorry, John returned to Galilee in today's reading, along with the four disciples, and went back to fishing. And they see Jesus appear, and John's the first to recognize him. We don't see that in the reading today because we started a little bit after that. But we have this discussion, of course, with Peter and and the other disciples about John because Peter, Jesus foretells his execution, how he's going to be um, led where he doesn't want to go. But, of course, John doesn't have that. John's the only apostle to escape martyrdom. That's not the right terminology. John's the only apostle to not be martyred, right? He's the only apostle to not be martyred. And so after Jesus ascends into heaven, John remains in Jerusalem for a while. We see him appear once again in Acts. He's there when Paul is converted with the disciples. He's there in Acts 16 with the controversy about circumcision with the Judaizers. He takes part in the Jerusalem council. And then John 
it's decided is to go and preach the gospel to Asia. And so he's sent to what the ancients called Asia. Now, ancient Asia is Turkey, Asia Minor. And so John is sent to Ephesus to oversee the churches in Asia. St. Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon, reports that John wrote his gospel and his letters while in Ephesus. And during his time there, he discipled and taught many people and ordained and consecrated bishops. With one exception, during the, um, the reign of Domitian, the Roman emperor, and his persecution, John was actually exiled to the island of Patmos. Uh, and uh, history says that he was exiled there and forced to work in the mines. And while he was there, mind you, as an older man, he had the vision of revelation given to him. A lot of people don't, get, don't realize this, and, and I won't get too much into it, but Revelation, the book of Revelation, is not about predicting the future, although there's lots of future things in Revelation that have yet to happen till our Lord returns. Um, Revelation is about the church enduring persecution. And so it is that St. John writes this book to encourage the church to keep on St. Irenaeus and Bishop Polycratus both cite that John was old and buried, finally, in Ephesus, dying a natural death. He lived extraordinarily to the age of around 94. And so he didn't die until around 100 A.D. Both of those historians talk about the fact that he lived to see Emperor Trajan Emperor Trajan come to the throne. And so he's got this incredible life starting a few years after Jesus' birth and going to 100 A.D. Basically the entire first century. But why are we talking about St. John, right? Some people question why we as Anglicans talk about the saints and the Blessed Mother of our Lord. Doesn't it take away the attention from our Lord? And the fact is that, no, not if we do it properly, it doesn't. Because just as we give light and glorify God in our worship, in our actions, so do the saints. And so does Jesus' Mother, pointing to our Lord, giving us further example as to how to live life John's transformation, as I alluded to earlier, is quite significant. He's changed from one man to another. We read in Mark chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus gave John and his brother, James, a name. He called them sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. And he appointed, when he was appointing the twelve, we have some idea as to why Jesus calls them sons of thunder, and it's not a good reason. 
In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we read this, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? You can almost see them like chomping at the bit, right? Look, they've, they've insulted the Lord. They've insulted the Messiah. Let's toast them. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And that John is so different from the John that we see in John's epistles, isn't it? John the beloved, John the one who is all loving and all charitable in the epistles, right? He goes on and on. We heard it today about loving one another and how Jesus is the light and we can't be in darkness and claim to be of the light. We did that series this past summer on First John, right? You recall that. And we heard so much from the epistles about love and Christian love and what that is. Now, it's not that John got soft in his old age, however. He still was very much an advocate for the truth. Bishop Polycarp tells the story of St. John sitting in a bathhouse, you know, how the Romans did that. They had these great baths that the water was heated and they'd be, you know, in the steam and um, the steam cleared as St. John was sitting in there and across the way he saw the Gnostic heretic Trinentheus. And as soon as he realized he was sitting across from the heretic, he jumped up and fled out of the bathhouse naked. And when people asked him why he did that, he said, well, I was afraid the roof was going to fall in because of that heretic, <laughs> and, I didn't, and I didn't want to be crushed along with him. So he, he certainly didn't lose his affection or devotion to the truth. And yet we see a man who went from being the son of thunder, wanting to call down lightning and thunder on that Samaritan village, to a man who was ruled by Christ's love. There are several stories of that recorded by the bishop and historian Eusebius, who writes in the second century. He talks about St. John and this young boy that St. John senses, guided by the Holy Spirit, is to serve the church. So St. John, the story goes, goes to this neighboring church, one of the ones that he's overseeing as an apostle, and he sees a young man, and he goes to the pastor of that church, and he says to the pastor, probably a bishop at this time, he says, I want you to take this young man aside and disciple him. Teach him the ways of the Lord, for I think he will one day proclaim Christ's gospel. And so the pastor agrees, of course. I mean, one of the apostles tells you to do something. Yes, uh, you're going to do it. And takes the young man aside and he prays over him and he baptizes him and he instructs, instructs and catechizes him for years, but to no avail. The young man turns aside from his faith 
and goes and becomes a bandit. And in fact, worse yet, he doesn't become just a thief and a bandit. He becomes a um, leader of a group of bandits. And, and they were so notorious that they would come down from the mountains and mug people as they went through the streets. Well, St. John came back to the church on his rotation and visited with the bishop and said, what, what has, what's happened to this young man? What's happened to him? Where has he gone? And the bishop, very upset, weeping, says, I, I tried, I did everything I could, but he just fell away. And St. John, again, very aged at this point, probably in his 80s, decided that that wasn't good enough. And out of his love for the lad, he went up the mountain, Eusebius says, and he went to find this group of bandits up in the mountain. He was stopped by the sentries and harassed by them, but he was persistent and wouldn't give up. He said, I need to see this young man who's your leader. Take me to him. Well, finally, they took him to the leader, and he confronted him and said, How far have you fallen? Don't you know that you've been baptized and that you're Christ's own? And I'm not going to let you do this. And so he pleaded with the young man. He prayed over him. He wept with him. And the young man turned and came back and became part of the church again. That's the kind of man that St. John ends up being transformed into. From someone wanting to call down thunder to someone going up the mountain in search of one lost sheep following the example of our Lord. There's another story of St. John. Um, there's actually many stories of St. John. Um, some of them are more verified than others. Some of them are more legend-like, as we see with lots of the saints. Um, but this one's verified by two historians that talk about St. John um, used to be carried out after he couldn't walk anymore, so nearing the end of his life, he would be carried into the church by two clergymen, and he was too weak to even preach. And so they would bring him down into the, the midst of the people, and he would just look at them and say, Brothers, love one another, and then go sit down. And then they'd bring him out again. Brothers, love one another, and then sit down. And that was his sermon. And so we see in John this wonderful transformation. And we see Jesus' light shine through him. We see an example of the psalm that we read where he's an old man and yet still full of sap and still flourishing in his works. It's an example to us, friends. The Lord calls us to himself at every chapter of our life. He calls us to himself to be faithful, to love the church, to love our brothers and sisters, to proclaim his word. May we be faithful, like St. John, who let Christ's light shine through him 
his entire life and finished well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.